Brooks and Mulder. Podcast at the intersection of faith and popular culture. I'm Sarah, she, her, hers. And I'm Maeve, she, her, hers. And today we're talking about friendship. Yay! And we have two lovely guests with us. Would y'all like to introduce yourselves? Hey, I'm Caroline, she, her, hers. And I'm Elizabeth, she, her, hers. Fantastic. Caroline and Elizabeth went to Davidson with us. I would love to like hear how y'all became friends and like more about yourselves. Sure. I think Elizabeth and I had, as everyone at Davidson, I think we all know each other and have mutual (laughs) friends, but we really became friends, better friends when we were summer roommates our sophomore year. Yeah. It was sort of random because I needed a roommate for the summer and Caroline was coming back from being abroad in Korea. And so I just reached out because we were doing research in the same lab. And I was like, hey, do you want to be roommates? And she's like, oh yeah, sure. And then that summer we just really clicked over, you know, our summer research and other shared interests that we had. Yeah. It started with the flies. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. So Caroline and Elizabeth run a blog called Tales from the Heart. That's H-A-R-T. And that was the name of the building that you lived in your last year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, So you run that with friends and roommates from college. And you basically interview your friends and talk about the cool, interesting things that they're doing. Caroline interviewed us a few weeks ago, and that was a delight. It was very fun. It was incredible. (laughs) It was like two hours long. It was was really lovely. So um, we thought we'd turn the tables a little bit and ask you about your project. Sure. Yes. So um, in terms of the inspiration for Tales from the Heart, we, I think Elizabeth and I are both interested in writing. And I'd always asked her if she wanted to do a blog with me because I think I was just like too scared to start on my own. I didn't know what I would write about. And that's a qu- big question we had. Just like, what do we have to say? Mm-hmm. And so we actually started this blog last year, maybe in March, 2020, I think. Yeah. And how, how did that get catalyzed? Like after thinking about it for so long? Yeah, we definitely talked about it at Davidson and said like, oh, we both like to write and journal on the side. What if we started a blog together? And then because we were also bored during the pandemic, we were like, you know what? Instead of studying for chemistry, I think we should make WordPress. (laughs) So that that was sort of the the jumpstart, I feel like. Yeah, maybe... Yeah, I don't know if without the pandemic, we would have really started this blog. I think just like being apart from everyone and wanting me wanting to be creative and wanting to write something was like the final push that I need to start this blog. And thankfully, Elizabeth was on board because we both wanted to procrastinate our yeah. schoolwork. So. <laughs> Definitely. So we started Tales from the Heart to commemorate all our good times with our friends at Davidson and just to connect with other people while we're all separated yeah and so like Maeve was saying we started this interview series this year actually so I think initially when we started the blog we were just doing what we called like quarantine stories we just write like random little pieces or things we were thinking about Um, but this year I had an idea of starting this 
interview series where we just talk to all of our friends because turns out you are all super amazing and cool <laughs> people and like you have way more to say than just me so I thought it'd be great if we just reached out to people and highlighted the work they've been doing or just catching up with them and showcasing that with our other friends. Yeah, definitely. And then another thing that Caroline and I had been doing at Davidson was we've been having oh, these yeah. things called tea time. So we basically our senior year, we realized even though Davidson is such a small school, there's still so many people that do a lot of cool things and we have absolutely no idea about them and so we were having people in our grade or the grade below us come just over to our apartment and drink tea and chat with us and we were like yeah this is like a super fun way to get to know people that we always wanted to get to know and so I think that element has definitely played out in some of our interviews yeah I don't I think some of the people we interview we wouldn't normally talk to yeah So yeah, I guess having these interviews, it's a great way to reach out to people and say more than let's just catch up because I can ask them like, oh, can we actually catch up and talk about this cool thing that you've been working on? But Sarah, I think that we maybe had a tea time our last year. I think we sat on our porch outside of part and just chatted about life, probably about our Spanish for a pop and drink tea. Yeah, I, I I definitely remember that. I think that was like either the day of or like the day before they told us that we had to leave campus. And that was one of the last things that I did. And so I hold that tie with you in a very special place in my heart. <laughs> As do I. <laughs> I'm curious about how you reach out to folks. So you said that you interview and maybe did tea time with people that you weren't super close to, but you wanted to become friends with or at least talk to. It seems like to me, it takes a lot of guts to do that, to reach out to someone that you don't know very well. And you're pretty vulnerable saying like, I want to get to know you. I want to know more about you. Um, So how has that process been reaching out to different people that you necessarily wouldn't? Um, Maybe Elizabeth has more to say about this because I, I think I generally ask people I'm good friends with, whereas I think, Elizabeth, yeah. you've had some experience asking people, maybe you have some mutual friends where you're not that close to. Yeah, I think I've definitely gotten out of my comfort zone with this part. And I think part of it is a function of the pandemic. You know, mm-hmm. we're all stuck at home. We're all on our phones doing absolutely nothing. So when you slide into someone's DM, it no longer feels weird because everyone is just online doing nothing. And we're all bored. So, you know, they're like, oh, well, I've got nothing better to do. Like, let's catch up. A funny story is, I don't know if you guys ever knew Robbie Seaton Todd at Davidson. He's in our grade. And I had never... I wouldn't say like we were super close at Davidson, um, but I started watching this TV show, Avatar The Last Airbender, because as, it was on Netflix. Yeah, as did everyone else. <laughs> as did everyone else. And Robbie loves this TV show. So I think he found out I was watching it and we started Netflix party <laughs> together. Oh. And it was, you know, just kind of the strangest connection, but then... I just wanted to hear more about what he'd been up to through these random Netflix parties. (laughs) Uh, Another kind of funny connection that popped up was 
a friend of mine who I'd taken a few French classes with, he lives in Atlanta and I just moved to Atlanta last year in October for a job. And I just thought to myself, you know what, he's in Atlanta, I should reach out and say hi. And so that also kind of kickstarted another really fun friendship. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's how it started and how it's going. Yeah, from interviewee to future friend. Future friend. <laughs> well, it sounds like a lot of good, like Mae was saying, like vulnerability and intentionality with this that and just being able to to kind of combine friendship with creativity, I think, is really a beautiful thing that y'all are able to do. That's awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. I would say I'm really grateful to all the people that we reach out to who are, like, happy to spend their time and talk with us and be so vulnerable with us and allow us to write about their stories and, and like, share that. So, yeah, it's not just us. It's everyone <laughs> we're thankful for. Uh, do you, I mean, other than us of course do you have any highlights or upcoming posts that you're excited to share about that we should look out for I mean I think I'm most excited to finish writing up Mystics and Molders post of course podcast but I think we have some maybe ideas in the work. We haven't done any more interviews, but yeah. we've reached out to a few people and have some ideas, but maybe since we haven't manifested them that I won't disclose it. Yeah, yeah we're, we're in a little bit of a um, no, blog slump. No, I wouldn't say slump. Okay. <laughs> we're at like a, a reposed rest. What? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't I don't call it slow. All right. I, I say we just have a little bit of a break at okay. the Blog <laughs> hiatus. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like that's also an important part of the creative process, like mm-hmm. allowing yourself to, you know, rest and not like push yourself just to produce and to mm-hmm. create when you're not feeling inspired. You know? Do you feel similarly, either Sarah or Maeve, about when you're trying to brainstorm new ideas for the podcast, do you ever feel like you just need to take a break? We don't have a very regular schedule when we release episodes. So it's often like an idea we've been thinking about for a while or we connect um, with a person. So for example, we had wanted to do an episode on friendship for a while, but it wasn't until speaking with you, Caroline, that our ideas really manifested into this reality (laughs) right now. So I think we take breaks when we need it. Um, I think we both are aware that we have very busy schedules and um, we spend a lot of time into the episodes that we create. Uh, So we're aware of that as well. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I think a lot of our breaks or like time between episodes has to do with with like legitimately just scheduling, (laughs) you know? We have, I think we have like a lot of ideas kind of floating around in the nebulous. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like something happens and it's like, oh, we can finally do like this episode. Our process is a little bit amorphous. <laughs> <laughs> we love a good horizontal power structure. Mm-hmm. Indeed. How has your friendship changed now that you're creative partners with this blog? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know that it has. 
<laughs> do you feel like it has? Uh, I, I do think that I like that we're, it seems like the blog is something like that we both really prioritize because sometimes Elizabeth calls me or like I call her or something and we're, isn't, we're not calling to catch up. We're calling to talk about the blog, but, <laughs> but it's still quite, it's still really fun. It's, yeah. I think it's another thing that connects us now because mm. not only are we friends and not only do I care about her and what's going on in her life, but I can always chat and say, oh, Elizabeth, I just had like a great idea about someone I want to interview for the blog, or this is a new thing. Yeah, it, I think it's fun that we have another shared interest and just project that we're building together. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like what you're saying, like, it's a added interest yeah. to our friendship. So like, it just gives us more to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's it's honestly quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have one other uh, writer. She's our guest writer, and I'll talk Shout about her okay. later. <laughs> I'll talk about her later. When we talk about friendships. Um, but I guess the one thing that has changed is now we talk more like the three of us. Um, it's kind of an intersection between a friendship that I had since I was a child now a college friend coming together that's kind of a fun crossover yeah and it's also fun now that you're talking about that because even in the interviews sometimes like it'll be someone that I know better than Elizabeth or someone that Elizabeth knows better so it's it's cool yeah. to um all interact in the same space mm -hmm. Basically, what we're telling the world is become in the package. <laughs> <laughs> That's how all people should be delivered, just like as a package. <laughs> We're just one entity. Buy one, get one free. <laughs> Bogo. Oh, man. But what if you only want one for half the price? <laughs> oh, man. of the podcast uh, we could take turns talking about a friendship represented in media or popular culture or literature that is sacred to us and by sacred we mean worthy of deep consideration and intention um, so we don't really have a super set order but I think Sarah you're planning on going first to talk about this yes okay I can go first I wanted to start off by sharing something that I have recently learned about one of my other friends, who is also a friend of you all, uh, Kenzie, is <laughs> has been really into like polyamorous relations, like learning about polyamorous relationships, and so she like that. So now my TikTok algorithm is completely different <laughs> <laughs> because she's been like I've been looking up stuff that she's been talking about. And so something that I've recently learned about is this idea or way of life called relationship anarchy. And it's usually discussed in queer and polyamorous spaces. Um, and I am by no means an expert on this. I read like one article and saw a TikTok video. So <laughs> take what I say with a grain of salt. 
But the thing that I really like about it is that it doesn't place friendship below romantic or sexual relationships. So uh, here's a quote from mindbodygreen.com about what is relationship anarchy. And it says, an RA or relationship anarchy mindset also seeks to dissolve the strict divides between platonic friendship and sexual or romantic love that exists in wider society. Practitioners of relationship anarchy see it as superfluous at best and harmful at worst to, to rank relationships in order of importance according to the presence of sex or romantic love. And they reject the prioritization of romance above friendship and the revelation of the monogamous couple above all else. So I really like that because it reorders or it makes different relationships more equal because to say that you know your your best friend that you've had for like 10 plus years is less important than your boyfriend of five weeks is like (laughs) to me a little ridiculous so i i really love the the re-evaluation and just the the recognition of how important friendships are in people's lives and how life-giving and joyful friendships can be and how much they provide in our lives. So one to start with that example, one of the examples that I, I have two small ones want to talk about is one of my favorite movies, Book Smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the summary of Book, Book Smart is academic overachievers, Amy and Molly thought keeping their noses to the grindstone gave them a leg up on their high school peers. But on the eve of graduation, the best friends suddenly realize that they have missed out on special moments of their teenage years. Determined to make up for lost time, the girls decide to cram four years of not-to-be-missed fun into one night, a chaotic adventure that no amount of book smarts could prepare them for. (laughs) So I love this movie, one, because it's just, it's very funny. Goofs abound. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in book smart <laughs> full of shenanigans but then also just the the display of friendship and i think of like i don't want to just say like female friendship or woman friendship but like femme friendship as well because there are not enough movies about women or femme friendships and how life-giving they are and also just the dynamics that the two of them have they make each other laugh and they create space for one another to, you know, to grieve and to, to complain about life. And they're also quick to encourage and apologize. And the way that they just like gas each other up in this movie is literally like next level. I was like taking notes. Okay. I was like, this is really good. (laughs) This is how I want to be when I compliment my friends because it's, it's perfect. It's chef's kiss, if you will. If we're still doing that antiquated <laughs> popular culture uh, thing. But some spoilers, they like, they follow different paths and they're upset with, about it. But then they reconcile and they're like, I will still love you even though you're like halfway across the world. Um, and they support each other's paths and just, there's a lot of love there. A lot of love and a lot of goofs. <laughs> <laughs> Which... I'm all about. Um, And the second um, friendship or relationship I want to talk about is from the Hebrew Bible. 
uh, or the Old Testament, and I'll just tell a very short version of their, of the story. There's uh, this older woman, and she has two sons, and the two sons marry these women, uh, Ruth and Orpa, and then so the older woman, her name's Naomi, and then Naomi's sons die, and then she's like left with her daughters-in-law, and Orpa leaves, but my Naomi stays with her to, um, well, just to stay with her. And there's one point where she says this really kind of beautiful quote to to, to Naomi, and Ruth says, "Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you." Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Usually this uh, verse is read at weddings, but I think it's a very good example of in, like intentional friendship. There's also like a good and sacred interpretation of this story about queer love, but I want to say it's about friendship just because I think for this episode... <laughs> more apropos i think it's it's a really beautiful story about platonic intimacy and dedication to friendship and kinship bonds that are beyond you know like biological connection um and really devotion to to mutual well-being and flourishing um and then this made me realize that i also have a third one so something that i like that i do a lot in my like spiritual practices is that I um, refer to God as like my first friend because, okay, I might cry because I get very emotional about this, but there's something about like, you know, when like you're in a new space and like there's this one person who comes over to you and is like, grabs your hand is like, let me show you like, "Ah!" (laughs) like, let me show you around and like introduce you to you know, the world and like show you, oh, goodness. Okay. Um, so I really love that because I think it's very beautiful. I have talked way too long and rambled too much. So I would love to hear your thoughts about all of my ramblings. <laughs> well, I want to, I want to go first. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing this. This is so beautiful. I love yeah. Booksmart. I love the Ruth and Naomi story. My first thought, um, which I didn't realize until, you know, after reading the quote and hearing, you know, it's often read at weddings, is um, the idea of, um, let's see, by the elevation of romantic love kind of co-opting or Mm -hmm. appropriating like something that should be a sacred familial or friendship bond and I'm interested in I don't know maybe what people think about that like why is the sentiment that is just used between um you know a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law why has this become twisted into something that is read at weddings <laughs> like I, I completely understand that often biblical quotes are taken out of context and this is very beautiful but it does irk me it's like leave this as it should be <laughs> you know I don't know I'm trying to think like um ne- possibly potentially nefarious reasons why this has been co-opted but <laughs> I don't know I think people just really try to find evidence to continue to um, 
bolster like the institution of marriage and things so and like the bible is one place to look for that mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah sarah kind of what i have to say well i don't know i i, I agree with a lot of what you were talking about with like the femme friendships in book smart i haven't watched it but from your description and analysis of their friendship I really want to maybe Alyssa and I will watch it together but do you all think that our generation has a new interpretation of friendship and puts more value into platonic friendships over romantic friendships because it seems like a lot of my friends are very aware of the the value of just like friendship I think that could be true. So in the book that I'm going to talk about when I go and talk about sacred friendship, they briefly recap um, mar- like the history of marriage. And so that reminds me that before marriage became kind of this like nuclear unit that pushed out platonic relationships, platonic relationships were elevated or at least very important and a lot more intimate than how we see them, you know, in the early and mid 20th century. And one of the books they reference, I think is by Stephanie Koontz and she wrote Marriage a History and she interviews women who um, got married in the fifties and how devastating it was for them to have their whole life be based around getting married and then the pain of losing their friends um, because societally, marriage a nuclear family was um, elevated above platonic relationships. And so I, I think, you know, for me at least, that with each generation that I've witnessed in my family, um, I've noticed women coming, you know, closer to um, platonic relationships and trying to keep that alongside their family relationships. Like it's increased with each. So I'm thinking like my grandma has fewer close friends than my mom does. And my mom has fewer close friends than I do. I think that could be just age, but I think it might also be something um, in terms of generational values. Actually, Caroline, I do want to play devil's advocate because, because while I do think it could be generational, I do also think that women have an easier time of being more intentional about their friendships than guys do. And like, I don't know, in our in our friend group, I feel like a lot of our friends are women. <laughs> and so we, you know, we don't have this weird, um, I guess like categorization of certain friendships. I feel like a lot of guys I know can only see relationships a certain way. And so once they, categorize you as either like they're interested in you or as friends like it it doesn't really change for them so I feel like I don't know I mean so you're arguing that it's not generational like the value of platonic friendships I think it is generational and I also think that women just value platonic relationships more I mean uh I I was also reading some articles before this podcast and I think like historically Historically, it was like, quote, like societally acceptable for like women and encouraged for women to have like lots of other women friends because like it was it was a way that men like men perceived it as 
women, I guess, becoming more emotionally intelligent, like in these friendships in preparation for marriage, which is kind of twisted. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. I think too, just I, the way that gender and gendered expectations are structured is that women have more access to intimacy Mm -hmm. uh, in ways that men or masculine people don't. And I know that there's a lot of men who are trying to kind of reclaim platonic intimacy but but definitely it's it's uh like you were saying Elizabeth like uh there's a gendered uh, aspect yes it's yeah mm-hmm. friendship is very gendered and like who who is like uh who, who can do it appropriately and how is it acceptable and but I I would like to ask um just really quick, like two questions and you can choose whichever one you want to answer or not. Um, but so like in Book Smart, a lot of it is about their like the evolution of their relationship. So I'm wondering how has your definition of relationship or what you look for in a friend changed over time? And uh, the second question is, how have you learned about what it means to be a good friend? I think my friendships have changed from being just based on situation and survival, (laughs) like making friends from preschool to 12th grade. Um, It was, you know, whoever was there and would want to be friends. Um, And I think as I got older, it started narrowing into focus, um, like academic focus, but also sports and clubs and music and things like that. But then in college, I think I had a little bit more flexibility and I found myself drifting between different groups. Whereas before I felt like my, I had a friend group, which kind of dissolved in high school. But, uh, you know, instead of just having a solid group of friends, it was, you know, I, I was kind of like going between the friend groups and those were often based on interest. And then now that I'm in grad school and I'm like much more career focused, my closer friends happen to be the people that share my career path because um, those are the people that I spend the most time with now. So yeah, I think as I've gotten older, it's become less situation or like physical location and more interest. Yeah, I, I definitely, Maeve, when you're bringing up the part about situational friendships, I think that reminded me of at Davidson how like in your first year, you become friends with, well, I mean, most people become really good friends with folks on their hall because, you know, I think Davidson prides itself in crafting very intentional call communities, but it's interesting to see who you choose to stay friends with and be around your second year when your housing situation has changed. You know, maybe some of you are living like really far down the hill and some people are still living on Duong Rose. So yeah, I think that situational aspect about friendship, yeah, it, it, I mean, obviously it's not just exclusive to that like college environment, but yeah, like you were saying to just like outside life too. And now that um, we, I'm not really, in the same city as a lot of my college friends, I think you have to be more intentional about whom you keep in touch with and like reaching out. So Elizabeth, do you wanna say something before I keep rambling? I need to compose. (laughs) (laughs) You can 
thank you, Bradley. <laughs> I resonate a lot uh, with you, Maeve, on the whole career stuff. You know, you spend a lot of time with the people you work with. And so, and then obviously you have a lot in common already because that's built in to the career. So definitely, I think a lot of post-grad relationships are building in the workspace and they'll probably continue. Yeah, Sarah, I'm thinking about your second question that you posed about how one learns to be like a good friend. And I don't know if there's one concrete moment where, or even like several moments where someone sat me down and told me, oh, this is how you be a good friend. I think it's probably, a, can you imagine? A class on <laughs> yeah, it's probably just a culmination of what you see on media, um, mm -hmm. your friends, your then your personal relationships. I think you know, whether you're still friends with that person today or if that friendship was just temp temporal, you gain something out of every relationship and you learn things. So, you know, I think even though I might not be like my high school friendship has friend friend group has dissolved a little bit. I still learned a lot from being friends with them and I don't know I guess there's not really a succinct answer to that Sarah do you, do you have an answer to your own question that you posed <laughs> what I was I was thinking about was um that something that I learned during undergrad was um I think I had a lot of like and still do like have like you all have a lot of good like people around me who are will do things and then I'm just like that made me feel like very seen and known and loved in that that instance and then I'm like I want to make others feel that way so I want to like do that same thing but now I think I'm trying to learn how to like love people and like show love to people not in ways that like I need love but like how did others need love if that mm -hmm. makes sense talking about love languages my love language might be like acts of service but that's not everyone's how do I be more intentional about giving love to people in the way that is most meaningful to them so that's what I've been thinking about evolving in in uh how to be a good friend. So, yeah. That's really self-reflective of you, Sarah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I think I just talked to someone recently who was saying like, there's different ways on how you show love versus how you like receive love. I, I do like the love languages thing. I have a soft mm -hmm. spot for learning about those. But, yeah. Oh no, that, that's a a hard question. I, I want to say trial and error sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? For my sacred friendship, I wanted to talk about this novel called The Professor and the Housekeeper by Yoko Ogawa. I don't know if either of you have read it, but I was thinking a lot about sacred friendships when I, when you told me about the subject of this pod and 
I was thinking a lot about, I think like intergenerational friendships mm -hmm. and it made me, I don't I think they've become special to me because they're kind of newer. So I think growing up, I didn't really have that many friends outside of my school friends who were around the same age as me because I mean, my family, we kind of grew up in like a small town and we weren't really that close to the community. So I was close to my family and my friends at school. So I just had like family life and school life. But in undergrad, I started making friends with, I feel like people in like the Davidson community, just like other adults or, I don't know, people that weren't just my classmates. So it kind of gave me some perspective on their different kinds of friendships, not just with people of your own age. And so, um, the one reason I really like this book is because it follows kind of the friendship between this um, professor who's maybe like in his 60s and a young single mom and her young son. So side note, this book, I actually bought this book um, the summer after our freshman year when I was on a trip to Asheville with two of our other friends, Itzy and Emily, whom we were visiting Kenzie, <laughs> and Kenzie took us to this used bookstore in Asheville, and I don't know, this book, I was just browsing the shelves, and I saw this book, I really like the cover, it's, it's, <laughs> it has, like, some nice cherry blossoms, and I thought it was very pretty, so, and I, I really like um, Japanese contemporary fiction, so I was like, oh, maybe I'll like this book. I'll give a little synopsis of this book, this is the Wikipedia summary. So the story centers around a mathematician, the professor, who suffered brain damage in a traffic accident in 1975. And since then, he can only produce 80 minutes worth of memories. And his interactions with a housekeeper, who's the narrator, she's unnamed, we just know her as housekeeper, and her son, Root. And the professor kind of develops a relationship with them and shares his passion for math and the beauty of equations with them. So um, hmm. after hearing Sarah talk about all the um, relationship anarchy, I think one of the reasons I really like this book is it just centers on like a platonic relationship and talks a lot about friendship development. So because this professor, he, so it's interesting because of this, um, brain injury he has. He has, I think it's called anterograde amnesia or anterograde amnesia. And so he can't produce new memories, but he remembers everything before the accident. So he remembers all of his like math scholarship. So anyway, the, I like this novel because there's a big focus on friendship development because each new get, day that the housekeeper and her son show up to his home to like, do her work, he's, they're new people to him, but he's their old friend. Because every day they're getting to know him and they're getting to know his quirks and they bond, but the next day he doesn't remember any of it. Mm. So it's a very curious friendship, but I think through they all, it's really interesting because they all kind of bond through his love of math. He loves talking about like math in, in, in everyday life. I just want to share a little excerpt of the book 
maybe this is like in the first chapter, so it's not very spoilery, but <laughs> in the first encounter, when the housekeeper shows up to a professor's home for just like introducing herself and starting work there, he, the professor asks the housekeeper, oh, like when's your birthday? And she tells him, oh, it's on February 20th. And he says, oh, 2.20. And, and the professor shows her his wristwatch, which he won as a prize um, for his college thesis. And on his wristwatch, there's a number inscribed and it's 284. And then he asks her, what do the numbers 220 and 284 mean to you? And she's like, yeah, I, I guess they're, they're both three digit numbers, you know, they're, they both are in the 200s. So she starts listing these reasons and he takes out two note cards and then he writes down all the factors for 220 and then the factors for 284. And then he adds, he asks her to add all the factors for each of those numbers. And then she adds them up. And um, here, I'm just going to read, this isn't the excerpt from the book. So um, he says, the sum of the factors 220 is 284. And the sum of the factors of 284 is 220. They're called amicable numbers, and they're extremely rare. Fermat and Descartes were only able to find one pair each. They're linked to each other by some divine scheme. And how incredible that your birthday and this number on my watch should be such a pair. Oh. Yeah, so I thought that was a really special, um, well, one of the first special moments of their friendship in this book. And, and I love that connection through math and how he, maybe he, doesn't have a lot of social skills because he's kind of been a recluse since his accident and he doesn't really know this new housekeeper that well but he's already finding a way to connect with her through a language to him with his map which is math so that's it's really interesting I thought that was very sweet yeah. um i got shivers caroline mm -hmm. read the end of that yeah, would highly <laughs> recommend this book it's great So um, just thinking about this book, I'm wondering, do you all con consciously think about age when you're making friends? And do you think that it's easy for you to be friends with like someone who's the same age or has the same like social cultural background as you or similar identity or something? Because I'm, I'm just thinking like, is it easy or harder for us to connect to people who are in different like generations than us? I grew up around older people as a kid. And so a lot of my friendships and familial relationships were with my older relatives. Um, and that was kind of like set in stone for a while. Um, and then I always just found myself growing up, maybe this is part of my like personality, but that I could identify with and have more meaningful relationships with people who were older than I was. So like really looking up to mentors in high school and in middle school. And I also kind of idolized my cousin. My cousin is seven years older, his friendships. And I just thought like a lot of younger kids do like, oh, they're so cool. Like they can drive and they can do all this stuff. Um, so yeah, but then I think when I got to college, age was still a big deal. Like, it's so funny how in college, it feels like the difference between a first year and a senior is just huge. Uh, but I, I found that I would be friends with people who are a bit older, but 
18 to 22, it's all the same now to me. <laughs> um, but um, after leaving college, I think I've become friends with people who are quite a bit older. And I think that has to do with just the field that I'm in in ministry as well. And at first it was kind of shocking after having four years of people who were basically just my age as my friends. But it's something I really like and appreciate now. I think it being friends with older people allows me to both be more playful and more serious when necessary, because it's like, I'm the young one, but also I can channel my serious side as well. I feel that in the workplace. Mm -hmm. you your colleague and he's like 40 and has a family, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, trying to be professional because it's in the work environment, but also mm -hmm. you're so young in comparison. You're like, let me goof around a little bit. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I uh, am really glad that you brought up intergenerational friendships, Caroline, because like Maeve was saying, I think this might be a, what a common characteristic of people who have grown up as only children <laughs> is that we tend to have better connections with people who are older than us than with people our own age or younger, mm -hmm. because those are the people who we, so I really resonate what with what you were saying, Maeve, about like a lot of, most of the time, like my friends are people who are <laughs> older than I am. So I, I don't really have, I only think, I think I only have like a few friends who are younger than me. Most of them are either like my same age or older or like much older. I think there's something too about seasons of life or like stages of life. Like e even though like I want to be like friends with these people, it's it's difficult to spend more time with people who have young children. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes like in my experience, it's been difficult to be around people who are older and like I really love and like want to be friends with them, but they have young children or they have like a young family. And so I'm not able to do a lot of things with them or like relate to them on some level. Mm -hmm. And that can be, I think, isolating on like mm -hmm. both ends. But yes, intergenerational friendships, 10 out of 10, would recommend. <laughs> yeah, Sarah, you, when you brought up being friends with folks who have maybe families or children, and that made me think of how it seems like once, once people start having families or maybe think of like parents, it's hard for them to balance friendships with their family. So I guess we were kind of talking about that a little bit when we were discussing the relationship anarchy and like how to value and make time for both. But yeah, that's, that's interesting that you say that. Yeah, I think too, it's just, it just has to do with the way that the nuclear family is structured and how more isolated instead of community-based. Yeah. Uh, the raising of children, but that's a whole nother, we could do a whole nother episode on <laughs> <laughs> That's why we got to start building our commune now. <laughs> I brought another recruit. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Welcome, Elizabeth. Yeah. Been initiated. Thank you. <laughs> uh, one other question I had is um, the friendship in this novel between the professor and the housekeeper, it's very much based on like learning and teaching one another is a really central part of it because the housekeeper, I think she's like any any person, you know, they're not super gung-ho about math, but 
her experiences with the professor who is just he's just so loving and caring when he's teaching and he genuinely loves math so much that he wants to share it with her uh the housekeeper and her son and it's really fun to watch him like try to inspire like a little elementary schooler about math you know math he's just rude is just complaining about his homework and the professor will take the time to do like these mundane homework assignments and teach him like the beauty of math. So I was just curious, um, do you have like personal experiences with friends where you feel like you learn a lot when you hang out with them or like just like what's the role of teaching and learning in, in your friendships? And do you think that's something really important and sacred in friendships? I do, and not even just intergenerationally, but yeah. I have friends who are in so many different fields and in college majored in so many different areas. Like I studied English and Spanish, but my closest friends really weren't necessarily in those departments. Some of them were, but um, I gravitated towards people who were like in the sciences and in math and classics um, and public health and like fields that I know literally nothing about. And I often still feel like intimidated or like a fish out of water sometimes um or even just like awestruck around my friends because I think wow they're so smart and so interesting they know so much and I know literally nothing like I can sign my name and that's pretty much it <laughs> but which isn't true you know um but I like that I like you know as much as I have said that I think I've started to narrow my friendships a little bit um in terms of my vocation I like having a lot of friend groups that I can go to and be around people who are a lot smarter than I am and just know a lot more. I think it makes me a better person and makes life more interesting and less stale. Um, so I, I, you know, in terms of learning, I've learned a lot from my friends. I just have to overcome feeling intimidated by them all the time. <laughs> I would like to caveat Maeve's um, comment about herself. <laughs> other people are smarter than her it's just that we all have our own little niches and mm -hmm. it's a joy to be able to share those with our friends it's true <laughs> yeah yeah thanks for sharing that Maeve that was really vulnerable but um I think we all feel that way we all have her our interests and expertise and there are things and no one knows like any, everything so I'm, I'm glad that you feel like you have friends that you can talk to about and, and learn things from and get over that like initial um, anxiety about not knowing something. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. friends, friends love to teach, I think, the things that they're interested in and passionate about. So they love that you're interested in. Are you going to say something else with no, I was just going to agree with the caveat. Like, Caroline and I could probably tell you a lot about fly sperm, but I don't know what that would do. Like, that improves anyone's lives. <laughs> and yet, you know, we spent, what, three years? About three years in the Hales lab. And maybe that sounds impressive, but trust me, it's not as impressive. <laughs> I like the word niche. I think we really all have our own niches, mm -hmm. and it's nice to you know, meander around and explore new ones. It's good for me to remember that all types of knowledge are um, valuable and just as important as each other, like fly sperm or 
giving communion like same level of importance <laughs> in terms of like knowledge more important. well <laughs> i don't know man <laughs> in terms of what we can each share for each other you know spirituality aside biology aside Um, I guess because that's been a really important source of friendships for me. And um, I don't know what it is about rereading books. I was talking to Caroline about this earlier. I really like rereading books from childhood. And one of the series I read was the Betsy Tacey series. So to tell you guys a little bit about it, it's pretty old, I guess. It was published from 1940 to 1955. And it's by Maud Hart Lovelace. Uh, it tells the story of three girls who meet and become friends as children. And essentially the, the series follows them as they go from first grade all the way into their early twenties where they're handling things like marriage and careers and families and that kind of stuff. And a lot of the story is actually based on the author's life. So the characters that she writes about, the friend, the three friends in the story are also herself and her two other uh, best friends. And then of course, some of the timeline is shifted around. Um, so she made a more cohesive series, but I just, loved it so much some of the things they talk about you know you read it as a kid and you're like oh yeah that's me and my buddies <laughs> <laughs> and so the story uh the very first book opens with the main character betsy and she meets casey at school and Tacey is super shy and she's afraid of school. So she runs away during recess. And <laughs> Betsy is able to run after her and convince her to come back. And they become thick as thieves after that. And so I just think childhood friendships are interesting because like, you know, sometimes you hear about them, they sort of go one way or the other, either you still have them or you know, it's like, oh, that one girl I knew in first grade, we used to be best friends and now we never talk, but she got weird. <laughs> like that's such a, you know, classic rom-com kind of story. You know, the arch nemesis is that girl they used to be like really good friends with. And then in high school, she turned popular and is no more. Mm -hmm. But um, I think of this series because a friendship that's very sacred to me is actually our other Tales from the Heart blog writer. Um, shout out Emma. Shout out to Emma. Aww. We grew up down the street from each other Aww. and we kind of had like the exact opposite of that arch nemesis play out. We used to fight all the time as kids. Like I think I hated her and she hated me and we both acknowledged this <laughs> up until I think middle school is when we sort of I don't even know how we sort of just became friends all of a sudden we're like you know what let's stop fighting and <laughs> become friends um and the other part that is pretty special is when I first met Emma um she hadn't really ever been introduced to Christianity for a little background I come from a Presbyterian family and so 
one day my mom was like, oh, what do you think about asking Emma if she wants to come to church with us? And I was like, okay, why not? <laughs> so I did. And then we went to church for a little bit. She's two years younger than me. Um, so we went to church together until I went off to college. And we were still, you know, texting back and forth and keeping up while I was away. Um, and then I think one day she texted or I heard something while she's like, hey, I'm getting baptized. I was like, oh my gosh, like, that's amazing. I'm like super excited for you. Um, and so it's just a friendship that has gone from us hating each other <laughs> to, you know, becoming sisters in Christ. And so it's been a really special moment. And so I love stories where um, either in literature or friends or movies where it's, you know, friends that stay together for a long time. And, you know, she's also brought up the idea of a commune. So I could bring <laughs> another recruit. Oh, <laughs> the nice. commune can keep growing. Oh, <laughs> please. <laughs> but, um, I'd love to hear if you guys have any childhood friendships or how they started or how they went <laughs> either way. I didn't have a lot of close childhood friendships. Like I said, I spent a lot of time with older people. I mean, I had friends from school that I was close to, but that I'm just not anymore. Um, and a lot of changes in my close friendships as well. I remember being on a Zoom call a few months ago, I think it was at the beginning of the summer, and there were two people who had mutual friends. And one of them said, I just think it's so weird when people don't have friends from their hometown and like they don't, connect with them and you know they only have friends from college like how weird is that and the other one was like yeah that is weird and I just thought what <laughs> like I, to me it's odd to still be close to people from your hometown at least like like that's how I feel like I can acknowledge them occasionally see them um but the people that I talk to daily are usually people that I met in college mm -hmm. so I don't know I don't know really where to go with that but it made me feel kind of alien like alienated a little bit or uh it made me question like are my friendships normal like should I be friends with people from my hometown is it odd to only really be close to friends from college and work I don't know what do y'all think yeah everyone's shaking their head no yeah those two people they got it wrong <laughs> not at all babe um no I think you should be totally validated in your friendships I I don't know if like the depth of the friendship can be measured by time. Mm. So like, who are they to say that your friendships in college are not as, as strong or deep as their childhood friendships? Mm. So it, it really just depends on the situation. So That's beautiful, Caroline. I feel very yeah. seen and validated. Thank you. Yeah. Good. You sound like a relationship anarchist, Caroline. I am like always disrupting systems. <laughs> Here for it. <laughs>Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close by Amina Tuso and Ann Friedman. They are the hosts of the podcast Call Your Girlfriend and the creators of Shine Theory. 
and AOC has uh, tweeted about Shine Theory. So it's like Ooh. pretty cool, big stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, yeah, that's my standard. Um, and we had briefly discussed this book, Big Friendship, in our episode on sacred reading and Jane Eyre with Vanessa Zoltan, who we just mentioned. She's a podcaster, author, and chaplain. So if you're interested in hearing a little bit more, you can check out that episode we did a few months ago. So the synopsis of Big Friendship is, um, so and Friedman explore friendship as something that is just as important as romantic and familial relationships. So a little bit uh, relationship anarchist right now and more, quote, more difficult than any career roadblock and more painful than any romantic breakup. Their friendship journey begins at a Gossip Girl viewing party in 2009, where they meet as somewhat lost 20-somethings in Washington, DC. And they're both navigating post-college identities in sexist industries and during an economic crisis. And alongside anecdotes of personal, vocational, relational change, and they also use intimacy theory, um, they invite readers into shared moments of exciting but platonic attraction, joy, comfort, and love, and some of the harder moments of conflict, distance, distrust, and anxiety. By revealing both the wonder and gaps in their 10-year-long relationship, Big Friendship makes the case that friendships like theirs are vital and worth examination and repair. I will say that a group of us, Sarah, I think you were part of this, tried to watch Gossip Girl at the beginning of the pandemic, and I was... Yeah. <laughs> Sarah yeah. just rolled her eyes. I was into it. Um, no one else was. Which <laughs> <laughs> is so fine. Sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. It like maybe we maybe watched two episodes and then um, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Sarah, are you not into the two thousands TV shows? Or is this two thousands? Two thousand ten. I think I just don't like. Uh, like soap operas essentially mm -hmm. um i was just kind of annoyed <laughs> like, yeah. I was just like you're a bunch of rich like preppy kids in new york city like just calm down <laughs> just have some tea and relax for two seconds like you're fine i don't know <laughs> That's a critique I've heard, but also <laughs> I see Maeve's point, the drama. Uh, <laughs> so I, I like it. Yeah, I, I really do. Um, okay, so a quote I want to share from the book. This is from the prologue, and this will lead into my questions for you all. Um, so the quote goes, we are not sharing our story because we think it's exceptional. Quite the opposite. We've spent so much time examining our friendship because we believe uh, many of its joys and pitfalls are pretty common. Two friends who, 10 years in, are still finding so much delight and mystery at the heart of their relationship, who are searching together to find both the expansive possibilities and the painful challenges of friendship, who are obsessing over the question of how to stay in each other's lives forever. I don't love the term obsessing, I, but you know what they're getting at, like how do we remain friends with so much change? Mm -hmm. um, so I have a few questions for the group, and there are four, I'm just going to read them off and then take from it what you will. So how have you all navigated friendship challenges and breakups, either in dramatic ways, like dramatic rifts, or just the result of getting older and drifting away? What have the um, social, emotional, and relational consequences been of these friend breakups? Has repair or recon uh, reconciliation or reconnection been possible? And can we find something sacred in the brokenness of a friendship breakup? 
These are good questions, Maeve. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Some good questions. Yeah, and I really like that excerpt that you shared from the book. Mm -hmm. I I don't have any dramatic friendship breakups to share. I think, but I have had some friendships just drifting apart and. I think for me, I don't perceive it as something permanent. Maybe right now we are, we drifted apart because, you know, we are not in the same city anymore and we don't keep up or we don't have a lot of common interests anymore, mm-hmm. but I'm, that door's not closed forever. I'm, I'm open to like, reaching out and catching up and seeing what they're up to. So I guess hmm, the question is, have I navigated it? I think I, I still care about them, but maybe that friendship isn't like a priority anymore. Is that, does that sound cold? No. I mean, I think at the heart of that is sometimes you only have a certain amount of bandwidth on a given day. And yes, you, you do sort of have a, you know, priority of like who you talk to and Sometimes you just don't make it all the way through the list. <laughs> I don't think that sounds cold. I think that's just a reality of life and how busy you are. And being a postgrad, you know, your friends are not all in the same space as they once were. But um, Maeve, I'm thinking about your question about can we find something sacred in this broken brokenness? And I think that's a really interesting question because that's, like I, I was saying, like the door is never closed. And that's what's so interesting. At least I feel like I perceive in my friendships, like even if we haven't talked in five years or something, I mean, recently, actually, this happened to me. One of my friends from high school, they're actually in the same city as me right now. And we like they, I think we randomly found out that we were both from the same city and they reached out. And like, the, I, I, I guess that's something secret. Like a friendship is never, it never ends for me. Because even though I haven't talked to them in so long, I, it, I, still, I still cared for them. And when I started talking to them, I was like, wow, like, I'm so glad they're doing well. And, and it's so great. And I'd love to hang out and such. So me, me friend, friendships are just special and secret. Yeah, I like that, that it's sort of an open door. And- it's not necessarily either party who closed the door. It's just sometimes life takes you on, on a wild ride. And <laughs> hopefully at some point you can reconnect. I feel like I have the opposite <laughs> experience of Caroline. I'm the one with the dramatic friendship breakup. <laughs> oh boy. Well, they're kind of juicy because the, all the friendship breakups that have happened have been with guys that got too invested Mm. and the friendship had to end because (laughs) they became really romantically interested and not about that in my experience it just wasn't possible to continue a friendship where the guy was only ever in it for the romance and so when you ask the question can we find something sacred in this brokenness I'm like uh (laughs) (laughs) no But that door is shut. I I shut that door too. Not like I purposely shut that door, but 
I mean, your question makes me reconsider too, you know, should I be trying to find something, um, a way to reconnect? And um, most of the time I'm like, no, female empowerment, let me just, you know, let me just end this and continue on with my, with my gal friends and build this commune. But it's good to, you know, sit back and think like, how does the other person perceive this too? I think that brings up like a really good point. The cause of the friendship breakup, you know, was it just life taking people on different paths or was it, was there harm done? And I think the, the repair and connection and finding sacredness is, is going to be different for those two explanations, you know, like if someone has done harm, you can still care about them and want good things for them. But like drawing that boundary of, I can no longer have this relationship in my life. I think that might be like the sacred thing. In Caroline's instance, the sacredness of, of picking up where you left off or reconnecting and, and rekindling those, those friendships is definitely sacred as well. Thank you all for your really thoughtful responses. Something we talk about a lot in divinity school is meaning making and the idea that you can make meaning out of any kind of interaction, whether it's painful or uplifting. It's not always possible to feel gratitude for a situation, but at least you can do some kind of emotional analysis of yourself. For me, I mean, hindsight's 2020, but um, <laughs> even if a friendship drifting away or having a rupture can be painful in the moment, looking at it through the lens of meaning making and saying, what can I pull out of this? Not just the friendship itself, but the rupture. And what does this say about me and my own growth and my needs? Yeah, and my boundaries, important things to consider. I think too, um, something that like is not talked about enough is, is the grief over lost friendships. People are much more willing to like talk about grief when it comes to romantic relationships, but it's like, oh, I just lost like, you know, not that they died, but like I lost this friendship in my life. Um, people are like, I think are less less willing to be empathetic towards that um, in like writ large. But I, I think grief is definitely a part of that, the process of, of finding what kind of relationship do I have with this person? Maybe it's not a relationship and the, and the grief that comes with that um, kind of reshuffling of, of relationships. Thanks for bringing that up, Sarah. I feel like I've had that thought, but I didn't, I didn't think of it in this moment until you brought it up. But I think it all comes back to, what's it called? Relationship. 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 <laughs> I'm going to say that. It, I think it really does. goes back to that, Sarah, you were the great opener for this <laughs> topic today. But yeah. I mean, yeah, the reason why people don't value, or I guess like, um, I don't empathize when you say you have grief over friendship is because they don't value the platonic friendship mm -hmm. over the romantic one. So mm -hmm. yeah, we, we're not here for it. We do. Stand. <laughs> we stand we do not platonic stand. friendship. No. <laughs> we oh, recognize no. your grief. <laughs> Babe, do you have any like other reflections or answers to your own questions? No, I'll say that friendship breakups are very painful. It's, you know, going from 
talking to someone and really relying on them so deeply to them just not being there. It's very hard. But I think I've also learned through the years is that I don't have to stick with a toxic relationship or relationship that just isn't right for me, uh, a friendship relationship for the sake of staying together, that it's okay for me to duck out of a friendship or uh, drift away intentionally. Um, not ghosting, not like abruptly, but yeah, that's part of having boundaries. And I think I've been proud of myself for letting some friendships go as painful as they may have, you know, that experience may have been um, because it's more important for me to focus on like what is positively filling up my life rather than giving me stress. And Caroline, I like what you said that those relationships are always there um, if I ever decide to go back to them. But like Elizabeth, I'm not going to, so. <laughs> okay, well, I thought we could play a little game. This summer, we play a little game like in the last 10 minutes of every uh, episode we've done. So this one is going to be rapid fire runner-ups. So what are some great friendships that you love but you didn't get a chance to share earlier? I can go first. My favorite uh, <laughs> three relationship or friendships in media Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Arthur and Buster from Arthur, my friend uh, Clara and I, who is on our episode on um, Church Music and Sister Act, we dressed up as Arthur and Buster for one Halloween. Oh my gosh, that's we, so cute. Yes, we have pictures. <laughs> we still have our um, little costumes and like I wear mine regularly, my little yellow sweater and she wears her blue sweater. Aww. So <laughs> very cute. Um, and then Parks and Rec, of course, how could I not? Classic. Classic. Mm -hmm. I can go. Sarah and I both have a lot to say about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh boy, do we ever. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think there are a lot of great friendships in that show, but you know, you can't top the Jake Peralta and Charles Boyle. You just can't. It's just, it's one for the ages, truly. <laughs> True. I mean, like, we're here for the relationship anarchy. Yeah. Like, we don't care about Jake and Amy. I'm here for Charles okay. Thank you. Hot take. If Amy wasn't in that show, and if it was just about Charles and Jake, the show would be better. Way better. Dare I say. Dare I say. Are we going to lose listeners over this? <laughs> this is a contentious topic. <laughs> And another movie, I don't know if you all have seen, but it's with, it's called The Intern. It's from a few years ago with Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro. But that movie kind of mirrors a lot of the intergenerational friendships in the novel that I talked about earlier. But yeah, I, I thought that, that was a good friendship. I'm thinking of Piglet and Pooh. Oh. And then Move On and Mushu. I just oh. love <gasps> Oh, yes. Such a cute book. <laughs> so and I love animated movies. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mine is also animated. I'm so glad that you said that. It was a real tough one for me not to put this in here, but the mystery gang, uh, Scooby, Shaggy, Velma, Daphne, Fred. How could I squad <laughs> <laughs> I literally, I, it was hard for me to like, I really hem and haw. I'm like, am I going to put Scooby and Shaggy on here? Because they're like OG friendship for me. Like that whole gang, 
you know, some of them in the older episodes, they don't necessarily treat each other that well, but you know, in the different variations of the mystery gang, am I saying, is it mystery gang? Anyway, Scooby-Doo, they, I think they treat each other better. Um, and just, we always love a good human animal friendship. This is full circle friendship because Sarah, I kept a card that you sent me and the postage was uh, Scooby, Scooby-Doo. And I kept it like, not just the card, but the envelope. Cause I was like, oh, this is so Sarah. (laughs) I'm a big fan of the the Scooby-Doo gang. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you, Caroline and Elizabeth. It has been such a joy uh, to share in friendship in this moment. Uh, where can we find your blog, Tales from the Heart? That's H-A-R-T. Yeah, I think our Instagram handle is just Tales from the Heart, just one word. Awesome. And is it the same for the website? Our website, the WordPress URL is quite complicated. Okay, so, so just go to the yeah, Instagram. A, yeah, find us on our Instagram, and then there's a link to the blog on there. fantastic thank you so much for having us on this is highlight of my weekend yeah oh my goodness yeah (laughs) well such a joy to have you four friends talking about friendship for two hours (laughs) i couldn't ask for anything more (laughs) well you can find mystic and molder on tumblr twitter facebook Instagram at Mystics Molder and then our website mysticsandmolder.com and our email, Maeve, correct me if I'm wrong, is mysticsandmolder at gmail.com. That's right. Yes. And many thanks to Motion, a Chicago-based artist who recently, recently-ish, a few weeks ago, released an incredible new album. So thanks, Motion. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>